1: So, thank you very
0: much. Go check out the site,
1: strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show.
0: Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
1: And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifting, and games athlete. I'm currently driving in my car, so ignore some noises. So, yeah,
2: that's how Hi, is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, creator of the Flex Diet, uh, associate professor at the Kerrig Institute, and uh, train people online, bunch of stuff. Still at home. <laughs> yeah, still at home.
0: Yeah, new record. Uh, everyone, today we're going to spend a little time in reflection, and you can join us. Of course, we're going to try to characterize our diets, and what I mean by that is, you know, what's the is there a macro focus? Uh, you, you know there's food group focus like veg versus meat versus dairy or eggs you get the idea even calorie and meal size how's it changed over the years again just characterizing the diet first though we have a little bit of news strength and muscle sport news uh i out of the gate i want to just offer because it's free And this is highly unusual, but the American Society of Nutrition, their science meeting, their their professional meeting is June uh, 1st through the 4th. If you go to meeting.nutrition.org, you can just soak up an enormous amount of posters and lectures and all the, you know, nerdy science you could want when it comes to nutrition. Uh, Mike and I are often pushing this sort of thing for people, whether you're a lay person or you're a professional in some way you really get some insight into what's coming down the pike in the next five years. So yeah, please check that out. American society of nutrition. Uh, I told Michelle Crispino there, their education person that I would uh, mention it. And uh, we have some posters there. We collaborated with Dr. Nelson on some HRV stuff. Um, We looked at whether or not coffee is helping with carb handling in younger, more fit people. So we have a couple of abstracts and posters that are going to be there as well. So, yeah. Free meeting.nutrition.org. Um, in other news, I thought I would bring this up or continue to bring it up, but uh, we are going to try video in the not too distant future. That may shock a lot of you because we're an audio podcast, but we've talked about this a little bit behind the scenes. So I, I guess I'll just say, look for the, look for it this summer on YouTube. Um, we'll, primarily do reviews and taste tests. Like I've got a can right now of that caveman coffee nitro brew in my hand. You guys have all tried that, but um, so uh, yeah, we're going to basically just um, run down different kinds of, from my perspective, mostly foods, Um, you know, maybe a high fiber alternative to this or a whey protein as a snack chip, you know, stuff like that. And then we'll kind of rate it like on a five or a 10 scale, you know that kind of stuff. So, and brief. Uh, the whole idea of these videos is they're going to be brief. They're probably going to be like ten minutes. Um, so, uh, I, I might even put a, a, a few news things, like tangents that we talk about on the audio podcast. I might even do something like that. So, anyway, um, okay. As far as the science news goes, I've got a few weird things about lab-grown everything. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently. So this first one is, it's an update. This is from about three months ago. Uh, Cell-based meats approach scalability. Now, Mike and I said this was going to (laughs) happen, you know, when we were watching the guy from Memphis Meats uh, at IFT in 2017. Um, And here it comes by San Danley, uh, Food Business News, I believe, says there are signs cell-based meat may soon be a reality in the marketplace investments in cultured meat startups increased more than 120 percent between 2018 and 2019 now this is the kind of stuff i kept saying if i had money this is where i would be investing it Um, several companies including blue nalu future meat technologies thinless foods wild type and aleph farms a-l-e-p-h all raised more than 10 million dollars last year bringing the total amount raised by the cultured meat startup since 2015 to over $155 million. But here's where the story gets more interesting, and Mike and I will kind of smile. Then there was this breakthrough round of funding, and Memphis Meats secured $161 million. So that's more yeah. than all of the other companies together. Memphis Meats are on it, and Mike and I know firsthand. That guy, he's... he's um, He's a characterful guy, you know, the colorful little bow tie, and he's very clever. He's got answers, yeah. right? When people attack him, he's got answers. Um, yeah. He was on our podcast, right? I think we had him on, didn't
2: we? Oh. I'm pretty sure we did. If, anyway, okay. Well, yeah, there. after all this time, it's a bit <laughs>
0: blur. So, yeah, Berkeley-based Memphis meets. Uh, it says, let's see, this could signal potential partnerships, basically, with the big boys, which include Cargill and Tyson Foods, uh, said mm-hmm. Nate Crosser, business analyst at Good Food Institute, the GFI. Uh, more than a dozen types of meat have entered this space since 2013, including pork, chicken, beef, and duck. Um, I, I believe at IFT, Mike, we were talking about fish as well. Weren't they also doing fish? Or was that h- yeah, too hard for them?
2: they were, fish they said was quite a bit behind, but the three they had done were all genetically that different i guess if you think about it i i guess i didn't realize ducks were that different but then when you stop and think about it you go oh yeah i guess that does make sense yeah yeah <laughs> i always think ducks and chickens are closer together than what they are but right. they're actually pretty significantly different from a genetic standpoint so yeah that's interesting yeah yeah you just think poultry i don't know bird bird meat or you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh
0: it says the potential of cell-based or cultured meat has never been in doubt said andy coin c-o-y-n-e, C-O-Y-N-E. Uh, food correspondent at global data Processed meats have been notoriously expensive though first cultured hamburger patty created in 2013 cost over 278 grand to to make a burger (laughs) uh it says fast forward to 2019 and that number is down to around 100 bucks um so uh Mike, I believe we heard, and I'd have to go back and listen to ourselves about this, but by 2021, they said it'd be approaching parity with um, expensive uh, regular meats, if I remember right.
2: Yeah, and at that time, I believe they were predicting 2020, they wanted it in high-end restaurants. Their prediction was because they can customize the amount of collagen and cross-linking and all this kind of stuff that... They were positioning it as not just lab-grown meat, but superior to other forms of meat. And we're trying to target high-end restaurants first, I believe. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. If you can show your product is superior, you can get it in a place that has a high price point. From a marketing standpoint, that makes sense. Yeah. I remember them walking a fine line between
0: superior and you can't say – if you say it's too superior, then it doesn't look like meat and you can't define it as meat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It says so hybrid, <laughs> um, yeah. hybrid products combining plant-based proteins with the cultured uh, with cultured fats. It says could launch as early as 2021, followed by 100% cultured meat products in 2022. So that's yeah, again cutting but, that with cheap protein. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and then of course there's the the definition thing, right? Of course. And we're already alluding to it, but as far as government getting the green light yes. and whatnot, it says in 2018, the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the FDA agreed to create a joint regulatory framework to sort of oversee cell-based meat products. Um, additional guidance was anticipated in 2019, but it never came. And I'm yeah. wondering if this isn't pushback from, like, the cattle growers and that kind cattle
2: of thing. Mm-hmm. Cattlemen's Association. Um,
0: yeah, they are not fans of this, as you might guess. Uh, for me, it's almost inevitable. It's like vertical farming. You keep hearing more and more. Elon yeah. Musk's brother, I guess, is behind that. You know, I mean, if you can grow plants with the exact perfect concoction of nutrient broth and wavelength of light and everything else, every freaking plant is a prize winner at the local fair, you know, and I, I see this in in the next, let's say, five to ten years. This is going to be something that supplements regular agriculture, right? Um, but it's it's disruptive enough, and it's profitable enough, at least the, the vertical farming of plants, that it's, it's going to do something. Yeah. Um, one more here. This is – I hadn't heard of this. This is from a friend of this show, Danielle, um, New York Times. This is actually from last summer, so this is probably about 10 months old, but um, I just got it, so we're talking about it just now. Uh, got Impossible Milk, The Quest for Lab Made Dairy. So, meat's one thing. Also, they're trying their hand at dairy. This is by Nouvel K-N-V-U-L. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Uh, chic. It says, alternatives to conventional cow's milk have proliferated, of course. I mean, the plant-based ones are everywhere, right? There's soy milk, almond milk, oat milk, rice milk, hemp milk, coconut milk, cashew milk, pea milk. So, you get the idea. Of course... These are made by breaking down the plants and reconstituting them with water, essentially. Um, Some of them do a better job than others, I I would argue. Um, But uh, according to Inja Radman, a molecular biologist, it says, vegan cheese is just terrible, she said. Uh, (laughs) as, As scientists, we know why this doesn't work. It doesn't have the crucial dairy proteins. And listeners know we're talking about casein and whey. Right, and a lot of this work with the cheese. Pro- or remember, dairy is not just a glass of milk, of course. With the cheese stuff, casein is king. I mean, casein's most of the protein in your milk too. But it says uh, microbes such as yeast are given genetic instructions to produce the dairy proteins. So, listeners, if you're not familiar, this is how they've been making insulin forever. You know, it, it's not like just bovine or porcine insulin or whatever these days. They actually you know, get recombinant DNA technology, and they make make it. So they're doing that with casein, apparently. It says the microbes are then cultivated in mass, and, of course, then you can get mass amounts of something like casein. Um, Radman said the company had conducted double-blind taste tests. Pe- pe- see, people could tell the difference between the proof-of-concept cheese and the store-bought mozzarella, and the results were very positive. I don't know what that means. There's no data behind this. Proponents of lab-made milk see the product appealing to dairy lovers broadly while satisfying concerns about animal welfare and environmental sustainability, the kinds of things like, you know, the carbon emissions from cows and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Sales of plant-based milks jumped 6% last year and now make up 13% of the entire milk market. So they're thinking, of course, this has its place. And again, they're really trying to bring up the term impossible burger a lot in this in this news bit, because, you know, that's something that's recognizable. And it's sort of proof of concept that, you know, this non meat meats can be popular with the gen pop. Um, It says what helped the impossible burger was their lab made heme, which had a tremendous impact on uh, the appearance of the burger. I read elsewhere that the heme part is part of what gives it its savory flavor. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and if people, a lot of you guys are familiar, of course, heme is in red blood cells, oxygen transport in the body and all that kind of stuff. But here we're talking about the, the culinary aspects of it. Um, so, yeah, a tremendous appearance on the burger, said Sam Alkane, a food scientist at Cornell. Um, and then, of course, he speculates about consumers, whether they'll notice a difference with the dairy products and the casein. You know, again, tricking the yeast or the microbes to, to make casein. The Food and Drug Administration has a legal standard for what can be called ice cream, for example. Uh, and this is what we we're saying with meats, too, right? You can't say it's too much better because now it's different. Um, anyway, the Food and Drug Administration says ice cream, for example, has to be 10% milk fat or cream from a cow. And, of course, that's not what a lot of these lab people are are really happy about, right, whether it's meats or or the dairy um, So for right now, as I'm reading this, it looks like it has to be labeled a frozen dairy dessert. And for most of us, I think, that listen to this show, if you're health conscious at all or performance aware, whenever I hear frozen dairy dessert, that's like hearing, you know, um, (laughs) fruit beverage, right? Just like red flag. Real fruit. Right, exactly. Uh, Dairy farmers are also likely to push back. And again, this is what we're saying about the ranchers, right, and the cattle growers against the meats. But dairy farmers are likely to push back against this lab-grown casein uh, and dairy products, lobbying for stronger laws governing the labeling of lab-made products. So anyway, kind of thematic news bit for everybody today about they're growing this stuff in the lab. I don't know. It, it's a, what I think is interesting is it's, it's essentially the same thing, right? The, the cell-cultured meat or the trick the microbes to make the casein, it's actually casein, right? So it's going to have the baking and cooking and, and mouthfeel characteristics of actual casein. So it, it's not – to me, it's, it's sort of a, a step better in nutrients in some ways, like you know protein quality and that kind of stuff compared to plant stuff.
2: In theory, you could customize it to almost whatever you want, right? Probably within some parameters I don't know anything about, but it kind of gives you a way to go in and tinker with maybe certain amino acids, or maybe you want to make a high (laughs) scene casein derivative, and you only need 20 grams to maximize muscle protein synthesis, or who knows? Yeah. Interesting. No, it's
0: true. I think they're going to back away because the FDA and the USDA are like watching, you know, and oh, so they're they're not going to want to say, yeah, like leucine spiked casein,
2: woohoo, everybody, you that's, know. That's not going to happen right away. But once it's approved, I can guarantee they're going to think about I, how can we change it and still yeah. fall within the guidelines. Well, that would interest me more, right? It's like yeah, best of oh, both yeah. worlds. <laughs> yes, please.
0: Yeah. Phil, you have goats. Do you drink goat milk and stuff like that, or uh, other kinds of milk, or is it all cow all the time? No, we drink cow.
1: Yeah. So our yeah. goats just they use their milk on their babies. So.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead and we'll go to break a little bit early here. Uh, when we come back, we're just gonna we're gonna talk about characterizing our diets. And again, listeners, you can kind of reflect on yourself and think about. And how would you describe your diet? Why do you eat the way you do? So, we'll be back.
1: Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so, I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me, come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the uh, Keto eBook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it! Do it now!
0: All right, everybody, we're back. We're going to talk about uh, food this time after a couple of weeks of talking about strength coaching and COVID all the time. Um, Characterizing the diet. Now, there's different ways to do this, and I'll just kind of um, spell this out to begin with here. But these are some things that you can think about. One would be what's your macro focus? Do you have one? For me, I I would argue probably protein. Um, but you know, Mike Mike, Mike likes flexibility in fuel sources and all that kind of stuff. So macro focus is probably a big one. Another might be plant based versus meat versus egg and dairy. Um, another one might be calories and meal size because that's varied for me wildly over the years. Um, probably the most for Phil. I mean, I can't imagine the differences in just <laughs> what's on his plate. <laughs> True. Um, supplements, snacking, seasonal ins and outs, right? All these things are are realities. Uh, so let's start with that, Phil. Um, how would you characterize your, your diet just in general? Now, in general? Yeah, now. I just try to
1: eat, you know, from doing it so long, I know what's good. I know what I should eat. And that's what I try and do like 90% of the time <clears throat> right now when I'm away from a meat. So it's just eat good food. I don't have any restrictions on carbs. I don't have any restrictions on protein, fats. Um, I just try and keep it to good whole foods most of the time. Okay. That's so, what I, so
0: non-processed is what you're saying, really? Yeah. Right. And then, you know,
1: like I said, 90%. Then I'll have my 10% where you're going to get whatever I want.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Just treats and fun, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you've done that for a long time, I think. <clears throat> you know, eat what's on the plan and plenty of it, and then... And you'll be fine. Drift, yeah. drift into then, bad boy territory a little, but it, it, by then you're pretty yes. full. i you know. like yeah. now I'm down ugh, close to forty pounds from where I was at the meet. So oh man, oh just wow,
1: meet, meet, yeah, just eating, eating normal. Everybody's like, "What are you doing?" Nothing. That's the point, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not trying to cram my pie hole. So yep. Uh, you know, and summer rolls around, and it changes. That that gets into another another part of this seasonally and stuff like that. So,
0: right. Yeah. Like, you know, late spring, I start buying a bunch of berries and I freeze big batches of them so I can have them all year, you know, stuff that just comes around, I guess, you know? Yep. Um, how about you, Mike, as far as characteristics, I don't know, macro ratios or, or, or source plant versus animal, whatever.
2: I'd say in general, I just try to focus on proteins. Probably the, the main thing. usually that's a, rate limiter in terms of prep and having it cooked and things like that. Um, And right now I'm trying to get a little bit leaner. So I'm trying to eat more protein and then played around with a little bit more of an extended fast, but I started doing that more frequently and it just feels like muscle recovery isn't very good. And I realized that my protein had dropped off quite a bit. Mm. So I'll probably bump, bump that back up again in like higher portions per meal. So 30, 40, 50 grams per meal. But I also dropped meals per day to around three. In the past, I've done four or five. Um, and I just found that if I kind of push my fast out a little bit in the morning, I was going to get some work done, do some aerobic stuff. And then just schedule-wise, I could get stuff done before I have to eat. And then if I eat three meals after that, that tends to work pretty good. Um, but I realized the three meals I was having were Eh, probably 30 ish grams of protein, and that definitely wasn't enough. So I bumped that up to around 50 ish now. And then this past week, I just added more calories and more food because I felt just beat up. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it's just, you know, looking at performance. And I tend to get a little bit too aggressive. I'm like, oh, I'll be fine for a couple of days, and calories are like super low, and you do all right. And then you. Like, oh, like two or three days later, you're like, oh, wow, everything sucks. Performance is horrible. What? Oh, I mean, mm-hmm. that's why I was, you know, because you think you can get away with it for a couple of days and then you realize you kind of pay the price with it. So, yeah, yeah, going back to a little bit more higher protein per meal, probably still try three to four meals and, you know, see how that goes. Yeah, it's a good point about
0: just being mindful, you know, making up and down tweaks depending on how you feel. You know, your performance, yeah. your body fat, it's not like it's got to be a fixed thing for the next five months,
2: necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest mistake people made too, and even with clients I see is that they get it in their head that they have to hit X, Y, Z macros every day no matter what, and they just ignore, like, all the feedback from their body. You know, it's like, oh, you know, how hungry are you? What's your stress like? What's your HRV? How is your performance in the gym? How is your sleep? And yeah, I get it at some point if you're you know trying to get super, super lean, some of that stuff is going to drop off, but you should at least be aware of it then. And if you're just starting out, especially if you're trying to get leaner and you're hungry all the time, your performance is dropping, your sleep is disrupted, yeah, the next 12 or 16 weeks or whatever you plan to do with that amount, you probably want to make a small tweak now and not have it be just a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm similar with the protein
0: focus. I mean, if there's any one thing I'm going to loosely count, not gram for gram, but it's probably protein, you know, Um, because if you're filling up on relatively lean protein foods, it's sort of auto-correcting for everything else, you know, and it's just so simple. Um, I do purposely try to eat um, some plant-based stuff. Uh, I remember uh, Stu Phillips once told me that basically one night a week his family would have meatless stuff soy other you know plant proteins whatever and to me that really emphasizes you know the the homeostatic control of the body you're not gonna (laughs) have any kind of major physique changes because you you don't eat meat one day of the week or something like that you know you know that kind of stuff Uh, especially if you eat a big variety of different plant foods so i try to get a lot of stuff like when i snack i have bean chips you know i'm always trying to do something that's You know, not just garbage kind of thing Uh, or, you know, a handful of nuts, even if it's caramelized or something. It's something that's actually got some phytochemical value. That's kind of where I'm at mostly these days, like not that different from Phil. I mean, definitely two steps further away from the farm than Phil probably. But Mm. um, beans, veg, um, I'll eat two chicken breasts at a time. Is that more than my body can use? Yeah, but if I'm hungry, you know, bring it. I don't know. That kind of thing, uh, calorie wise, I'm probably only eating about thirty five hundred calories a day. I mean, it was a time when I was eating fifty percent more than that, you know. But again, it's it's like Mike, you're talking about like almost more acute changes up and down week to week or month to month. But there's also like career stage. And what a, oh, yeah. you know, I would look like a beanbag chair at my age if <laughs> if I just wigged out on forty five hundred five thousand
2: calories a day like I I did once upon a time. So you but know, I would say maintenance for someone of your size thirty five hundred is that's a good amount. I mean, I chronically see people coming in to start coaching that are at like you know guys twenty two two thousand. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> You know, it's a good That's, point. You're starting.
0: Oh yeah. boy. <laughs> yeah, and because I've had students tell me that when they do their their nutrition projects in my class, that they're like, "I'm weight stable." I'm like, "You're eating eighteen hundred calories a day, bro." Oh. You know. No. <laughs> so to me, it's like you got you you need like metabolic rehab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, because you should not be weight stable on sub two thousand calories a day as a as a grown ass man. You know, to put.
2: But Especially like, if that's where you plan on hanging out forever too. It's like I get it if you're trying to cut and your body's not really really responding and it's a temporary thing. I I get it. But yeah, when they tell me like, oh, this is where I hang out like all the time. Right.
0: Uh oh. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. I if I mean if you're if you if you're coming off a twenty week diet and you're you're depressed down that low, I've been there, you know, but that yeah, you're right. then you have a, a solid reason. Yeah. And it's not just like, yeah, I I'm always like this. I'm like, no, that's not okay, man. Twenty one hundred calories a day. You're a college male. That's not okay. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, and, yeah. And it can happen. It, it's it's remarkable how that happens because most people would like, you know, they oh, they yeah. they plug and chug their stuff into like one of these nutrient analyzers, and they're like, well, I, I'm I don't. It, it's telling me a number that's too high, three thousand. That's really high. I'm like, that's college male standard, man. So. You know, I'm uh, I'm sorry <laughs> that your metabolism is that slow. And let's let's talk about why that might be. Wake up those muscles or something.
2: Um, and as you know, a lot of people just crazily under-report stuff too. And if you're only doing a two or three-day snapshot, it's not even a week. And oh, there's sure. all sorts of hiccups to that for listeners who are, are listening in too. Because I've run into that where someone's like, oh, I'm just not eating anything at all. And then you start having them log it long enough and all of a sudden you see like a couple days that were just like astronomically high i'm like oh okay so yeah this is making a little bit more sense you weren't eating as a grown male 1400 calories every day and not losing weight okay <laughs> yeah
0: right you know uh, the other thing too is when people use just kind of uh tip here uh they, they Oftentimes, those analyzers they want you to put in your activity level, and routinely, yeah. I have students and they put in highly active or very active, and they're like <laughs> i'm only getting like thirty percent of all the my nutrient recommendations i'm like that's because you put in something like I said, let me describe what very or highly active means to this program That means you 're a construction worker that then goes you know trains at the gym for two hours and goes dancing all night you know that's highly active. You might be yeah. intensely active during that two-hour window of your team sport four days a week or whatever, but that still may not qualify. So, yeah, it's setting the the bar too high for you. So, yeah, you got to be real careful with this kind of stuff. Um, oh, what about supplements? Phil, do you take any supplements at all? I mean, you dabble with D or fish oils or something. Yeah, I you? take
1: vitamin D in the winter or some fish oils. I'll take creatine when I remember it. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's about it. Every once in a while I'll have a protein shake. Blah blah blah. Multivitamin. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, just to cover basis. But Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah omega threes and, and vitamin D, those are things that people just don't you know, they get subpar yeah. intake. Just kinda period. I'm I'm the same way with the creatine, by the way. Like I I'll put like um a teaspoon in my coffee when I remember in the morning. Yeah. But it's just sort of a yeah. general Muscle and nervous system health kind of thing. Yep. Um, yeah, but D. I need to get better at it. Yeah. D. Creatine. Um, I do. Uh, Fisher was like like you. Um, curcumin. I'll take some curcumin. Uh, I just keep hearing more and more stuff about it. it looks looks pretty valuable, especially with you know pr- th- these wildly inflammatory viruses flying around so uh, that's not why i'm doing it but it makes me glad that i do and i've sort of bought into that and we've talked about the value of that on the show before why it might be having some effect and all that kind of stuff but um what else do i do uh oh i'll take a c with some collagen and glucosamine chondroitin because my joints are ruined (laughs) <laughs> They're just ruined. I'm not a big person and I've abused my body a lot. So um, I'll do that before I go, you know, exercise and stuff. What about supplementation for you, Mike? Do you – are you trying to fill gaps that's not in the, in the food or are you just trying to hyper-physiologically supplement? You know what I mean? Like what are you after?
2: Yeah. So right. So I go through periods of time of what I call and teach just expansion and contraction – Right, so take a period of time, and if you want to try a bunch of new stuff, great, and then see what the result was. Did you, did you think it made any difference? And then take a period of time and start pulling stuff away and see did you really lose anything? <laughs> you know, because a, a lot of times I'll see intake form of someone who's got like 21 different supplements, and it's like, man, you don't even know what's causing what or what's going on and they've been on them for like you know forever yeah like oh i spent so much money on this it's like well just start taking a few away and see what happens um so since i've been at home and compliance is easier uh like all the normal stuff like you guys said multivitamin sometimes i'll add a little bit more d i don't add it that much in the summer trying to get outside more now that we can actually get d from the sunlight almost in minnesota which is good yep um creatine fish oil I running a little experiment where I've actually upped my amount of fish oil to see how that goes. So I'm going to probably do another blood test coming up. There's some interesting data that it may reduce resting heart rate, and there's some interesting data related to sudden cardiac death, cardiac risk, if you're in the maybe 9% range, if you look at blood levels, or RBC, maybe even a little bit higher. Um, And also, from my own curiosity, I think it's just going to plateau out. There's only so much you can probably pack into a red blood cell anyway, period. Um, So doing that. And then I just started playing around a couple of weeks ago with a high amount of turmeric, ginger, kind of anti-inflammatory compounds. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of weird, niggly joint pain or anything odd like that. I was just more curious if I go super crazy with it for a period of time. Does it help with recovery? Or I was also interested in sleep. So, eh. Just been doing that three weeks now. I can't say I've noticed anything hugely different with it. Um, I do use some collagen, 15 grams, based on Keith Bar stuff, usually before training. Uh, may help with uh, soft tissue recovery. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just finishing up a company called Neural Hacker. I use some of their stuff. They have a product called the Turnus, which is supposed to increase uh, intracellular levels of NAD, NAD plus, NADH, things of those pathways. I used it before and my HRV and stuff actually went up pretty high and stayed there. So I thought I would try that again. And it seems to help. But again, Hmm. it's, you know, you're always like, well, you're doing more aerobic stuff. You're at home. But I figured for the time that I'm home, I'll just do the kitchen sink approach and throw everything in, see how it goes, and then slowly start pulling stuff out and see if it stays there or if it goes back down again. Because it's, you're either left with, do everything and see what happens or you can try one thing at a time but then it's going to take you like eight years to figure anything out either but you'd have a little bit more granularity of you know what was the thing that kind of helped too so right i kind of do the kitchen sink approach for a while with you know some thought is what i'm trying to elevate what are my markers for looking at it and then you know pull it back out and see what stays yeah Deciding what variable
0: you're going to actually monitor is kind of a big deal, you know? yeah, otherwise,, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it's just general, I feel like this. Well, there's lots of reasons you can feel a certain way. you know. Uh, tell me about the NAD stuff. Did you I'm, one more time, did you say you're taking NAD or just things that support that? Because I keep hearing in, yeah. in legitimate literature
2: about NAD nutrition
0: uh, in the past couple of years.
2: It's, it's super interesting. So I spent about the past year trying to look at it as best I could. Uh, David Sinclair's book is really good for people who are interested in. Um, so he does recommend different. There's NAD boosters you can take. There's basically just two of them. There's a big debate in the literature, at least in humans, if you try to sort of boost NAD directly is that beneficial? So if you talk to Sinclair, he would say NMN is probably the best way to go. Other people would say no. You look at some of the literature, it appears to accumulate in the liver, so we don't know if it gets exported from there, and some of it's animal data and mechanistic data, and so it's all kind of across the board from what I've seen so far. Um, The other downside is that the direct precursors are relatively expensive. They do appear to be absorbed orally. Uh, they don't appear to be, have any negative side effects that I've seen, although I don't know if I do an IV push of it. That makes me a little, yeah, it makes me a little nervous. Oh, I know yeah. some people have, have done that. Yeah. Um, so another product, which I'm an affiliate for through Neurohacker, is called Eternus. So what they did is they took kind of a systems approach based on the literature and said, okay. All these other pathways, so things you want to upregulate, you know, NAD, sirtuins, AMPK, things that are kind of in that longevity restoration pathway. And they use a mix of different compounds that are trying to upregulate multiple pathways without necessarily supplying a direct precursor. Right. So if we kind of increase all these other pathways through a systems approach, you know do we kind of get to a better or possibly more sustainable effect? Uh, the downside is there's they're doing some preclinical work on it now, so there isn't a randomized controlled you know trial with the finished product so you're kind of guessing and hedging your bets that, yeah, based on the literature, you know these things do have some benefit on each one of these different pathways doesn't guarantee if we throw them all in one supplement that we're gonna see the effect that we expect to um but You know, again, I'm looking at what is the downside. You know, all the compounds they use have generally been regarded as safe. I don't know of any negative effects from them per se, other than uh, cost. It's kind of stupid expensive. Uh, But if you were to do, you know, NAD precursors directly, that's pretty expensive also. So this is still cheaper than that. Um, So I figured I would uh, give it a shot again. And last time I did it, it my HRV got like to the highest it's ever gotten, especially with travel and stress and everything else. Interesting. Um, and then I removed it, and it stayed pretty high for you know quite a while. I didn't notice any effect until after about four to six weeks. Um, so there's definitely more of a accumulation effect, which is what you would expect with a lot of supplements, and if you're upregulating different pathways at different time frames. Um, so I figured I would yeah give it a whirl again and see how it goes. And so far it seems to help, but again, you know you're doing. Multiple things at the same time, too. Right.
0: Well, let me ask you this. I mean, AMPK, NAD, is it fair to characterize these things as basically just being ways to enhance cellular energy? That sounds so tacky. But, I mean, NAD, yeah. NADH, right? If Listeners, if you're yeah. familiar, this is sort of the energetically the one of the main reasons for the Krebs cycle, you know, is that you have more of this. And the idea that you could sort of just eat some or boost that system – that has some interesting. I mean, because I would have said the same thing about creatine twenty years ago. But you can't just eat yeah, that exactly. stuff, right? Yeah. So, what do you think about like is is that the idea to kind of backdoor your normal, you know, food and calorie nutrient pathways and just get more NADH out of the show, or
2: is it more? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the basic principle. I mean, if you talk to Sinclair, he's real big on the idea of by boosting these compounds, we're kind of increasing and further clarifying the the analogy he uses is kind of like the, the DNA has information there, but like a CD, it can kind of get scratched. And when you go to read it, you're kind of reading out information that gets made into proteins and these other things that's not maybe correct. But if we kind of take something and we clean up the CD, and we kind of make the downstream, right? So the epigenetic response to that and the proteins that are made we kind of clean that up, the information then is made better and more clear. So everything downstream that's made from that uh, is better. And so his argument, the way I understand it, is that NAD is one of those molecules that helps with that because you're increasing the cellular energy around that process. Yep. But then the debate is if that's true, which is highly controversial. And he's got some pretty good data to show that it's, you know, that, I mean, his lab's been doing this for a long time. Then, can you just take a precursor supplement to it? Yeah, maybe. You know, he'll take it with uh, resveratrol at uh, pretty high doses because mm-hmm. uh, resveratrol helps on the CERT 1 pathways again. Um, in terms of human data, like I said, they're working on some, but not a lot yet. But some of the animal model stuff that they've done is pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Um, I, I, Personally, I just still have my doubts that it's. That simple, that right? You could just take a precursor, right? I just, I want to believe that, but I don't know. But then I think of examples like you said of like creatine, where son of a bitch, it was that simple. It was. <laughs> you know?
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, the first yeah. time, the first time I heard of an NAD product was about twenty years ago, and I'm like, you guys are so full of shit, like because yeah. at that point they probably were. Yeah. You know, it's 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 like the company they, they, they'll sell every single one of the nine Krebs cycle metabolites and say, this is why you oh, need yeah. it. You know. And you're like, sure, whatever. Uh, but now, yeah, it doesn't seem to go away. And you're seeing it in premier journals. And uh, all right, I, I will keep an eye on it. I guess maybe it is. Yeah, maybe cross your fingers. It would be that simple because that would be that would be pretty killer if it actually you you know
2: was biologically relevant. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we basically look at N-M-N is the one that Sinclair likes. The other one is uh, nicotinamide riboside right which is true Niogen i think is the i think it's made by chromadex if i remember right um those are the two ones that are kind of battling back and forth i guess and some of them have mixed data on both i would say i mean if i were to guess right now i would probably try nmn first but i don't know i may run that experiment at some point um but I just want to make sure I'm actually getting the legitimate source of it and then, obviously, the expense. Right. Because anytime a supplement that has a lot of hype and has a high price point, there's going to be people that are just going to make crap and try to stick it in a bottle for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think I, I have sort of matured or mellowed my look at
0: supplement. The way I view supplements over the years is – Early on, it was exciting. It was almost like pharma. It's like, oh, I could, you know, do all these things. And, you know, bodybuilders are always interested in manipulating hormones and all these different things, yeah. and not shying away from things that look pharmaceutical. But more and more now, like with the D or the fish oils or a lot of the things, the collagen, it's just encapsulated food. You know, in a lot of ways, it's. I don't have some idea that this is some magical product. You know, people that are very against supplements they always act like they're somehow ergogenic aids on par with steroids or something it's like they're just nutrients it's like the vertical farming we were talking about before or the cultured meats it's just technology progressing in ways to get refined single nutrients and some people don't like refined single like standardized extract type things they rather have the whole food source but sometimes you can't do it that way Creatine's a good example you know you're not going to go eat 10
2: pounds of uncooked meat phil might i don't know um, <laughs> you know. And then if, if you've been around the supplement industry on the inside long enough, you see how many different compounds have been tried and how many actually have. I mean, look at how long the supplement industry has been looking for the next creatine, you know, from yeah. alanine to citrulline malate to, you know, some things that have some effect, you know, but you're still talking single digits even increasing. single digit effects which Ribos. is definitely helpful Yeah, but the amount of compounds that have been looked at that have no data or, or way less efficacious than that if they even are efficacious is the amount that make it through or is just so small that I think you tend to be I know I tend to be very pessimistic but I also try not to Dismiss everything then either, because yep. then you're on the other extreme of like, well it's all just crap. Nothing's worthwhile. It's like, no, we actually have some stuff that that is beneficial in the single digit percentage. So it's you're back somewhere in the middle. Yeah,
0: Phil and you and I have all been around academics and let we'll just say supplement industry folks enough to realize that yeah, on oh, the yeah. academic side, everybody's trying to disprove everything. Oh, that was biased. I was reading a review like a systematic review of different um, meta-analyses. And, you know, all the the risk of bias was high in every one of these studies. And, you know, so, I mean, they become so negative and, you know, they're just trying to disprove everything. And then on the supplement side, you're right, everything is an creatine, and they're full of crap too, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> but the truth is you just, if, if you're actually a rational scientific thinker, you're just, you, you know, you, you're not invested in one way or the other. You're just saying, well, let's see if this does anything. Let me ask let me bring this back to food a little bit here Phil. What about um kitchen skills? And I don't mean walk out into the barnyard and and, and shoot a goat. <laughs> but but although that's something honestly I think a, a lot of young people they they actually need to witness that. Not in some gory way or you know just the reality of where food comes from. It doesn't just appear from a food generator like Star Trek, you know, under the plastic in the grocery store. But what about kitchen skills? Like the way you eat, what are some things you do in the kitchen? Now, before anybody, you guys are like, oh, Lonnie, come on. This is a lifting podcast and sports nutrition. But listen, if you don't have kitchen skills, you can't translate any of this stuff. So what are the kinds of things that you do uh, on a more or less daily basis? Is it slow cooker? Is it pan fry stuff? What do you do?
1: God, I'd say the most often we use the. We got an air fryer. I've been using that a lot. Oh, but um, mm. on a daily basis, I probably, I probably pan fire grill things the most. Um, just because it's fast. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, like I was making curry this week and stuff like that, and so we'll do that a lot. My wife will use the uh, like the crock pot or whatever it is quite a bit. Instapot. pot.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: You know, when it comes to me I'm I'm in there dicing things up and grilling things and, and, and stuff like that. I mean Aside from, like you said, taking goats apart. And turning in them into, <laughs> <Right. laughs> into food. So But I've done that my whole life. I mean I was lucky in that you know, I was taught that at a young age and it was like, you know, you're gonna learn how to cook. So
2: Right. Uh
1: you know, i d we're definitely not reliant on having to go out to eat. Do we go out to eat? Yes. But uh, you know, there's not much that I'll at least won't try to cook.
0: So And you and your wife yeah. are obviously both in the kitchen then, so I'm guessing lockdown hasn't just hasn't been much of a problem for you really.
1: No, it was weird because like all of a sudden we wanted to go out to eat more just because we couldn't. So
0: <laughs> forbidden fruit. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: But uh no. I mean honestly this lockdown didn't change us a lot. We're we're at home a lot anyways, so uh, yeah, it hadn't hadn't changed. We got freezers full of stuff, so we're like, Oh, we're good. Right, and that's why we kept our goats. I was getting ready to get rid of a lot of our goats, and then this all happened. I was like, oh, I've got like seven hundred pounds of meat
0: walking out there. I'm keeping it walking. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, so. right. Well, and plus, I mean, if you know how to prepare it and it's delicious, that's different, yeah. right? If you don't know how, if you've got it at home walking around on your property, but you have no idea, you know, you have no kitchen skills, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, you're like this. This is bland or tough or tasteless yeah. or whatever, or, you know, overly spiced. I blew it, you know, and then you can't yeah. enjoy it. But yeah, the, I, we're actually, Kelly and I are similar in that way as we both cook. My son cooks. Yep. Everybody, we're pretty, we're pretty good at this. <laughs> so I, yeah. I haven't really missed. I, I, I estimate that we were probably saving over 200 bucks a month, just not eating yeah, out. I
1: could see
0: that. You know, I can see that easy. Um, and not really missing it, and it's kind of making me reassess like well, why were were we doing that now? don't get me wrong, it's nice just to go nobody has to cook you know if you're tired or you want to just go have some drinks yeah, with it or whatever
1: to do and all that yeah yep
0: so. uh Mike how would you rate your kitchen skills and and what do you do most regularly?
2: I'd say kitchen skills are pretty basic, um we grow a lot, even all. All winter, we have one just out on the cement patio here, which works pretty good. Uh, We got a cast iron frying pan probably three years ago, and I'm actually surprised how much I use that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So, we have a so for like frying stuff, or sometimes if we take a steak, or my wife will bake a lot of uh, vegetables and potatoes actually. Uh, A tip we got from our friend uh, Zoe when we were in Australia visiting Luke and at their wedding for Muscle Nerds. As you boil potatoes ahead of time or just at the same time and then kind of smash them down into a cast iron pan and then bake them in the oven. And for whatever reason, maybe it's just my own head, but they seem to taste even better. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure why that is. but So we do that a lot and then we've got another stainless steel <laughs> and just to steam a lot of vegetables. So we'll buy like a whole bunch of organic green beans or broccoli, keep them in the freezer and just heat some water and just dump them in and steam them. It just takes like a few minutes, so that's pretty fast. Uh, we use a, a Vitamix. We got that a couple of years ago to make a lot of uh, super smoothies or even veggie shakes. Like we'll throw in a bunch of carrots and a bunch of spinach and a little bit of frozen pineapple, squeeze some lemons and limes and you know something like that, so that's pretty easy to do. Or in the morning, we'll make a smoothie, throw in. I do use some mushroom extracts also. Uh, some cacao powder. Usually in the morning, if my wife is having it, we'll throw in some rice protein, like 40 grams for each of us, and so that works pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all you know, nothing crazy, pretty pretty basic. But I think you can get by with some basic skills and make food that's still pretty tasty without getting crazy. Uh, the only other thing different I've been doing lately is I call it my little steak quest. So I've been playing around with different ways of making steak for a couple of years now. So I've done the. It's a little bit more with the sous vide, which is pretty cool. Like, you can cook stuff. Like, I like it for chicken and pork and things of that nature. It's basically just a controlled hot water bath. Um, you can control it super, I would say, correct but precise. Um, the hard part with the steak is just getting it dry enough on the outside again and getting the grill hot enough to get it to really sear. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing I've been working on now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a buddy of mine has, like, literally what looks like an industrial blowtorch he uses, <laughs> but wow. I don't have one of those yet. Fancy, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, sometimes you'll see yeah.
0: chefs, like, legit chefs, using little
2: blowtorches to get
0: something just the right, you know, scorchy color.
2: <laughs> yeah, this this looks more like an industrial flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> Not not so fancy. Not pinky extending kind of equipment. No, no. Not for the, the creme brulee. This is, yeah, right. pretty industrial looking.
0: <laughs> you know, that's funny. I, actually, I think that's a real tip, I think, for listeners is that – because same with me. I mean, between the Instapot and a Crock-Pot, I mean, go Google. Go Google yeah. Crock-Pot recipes. You're going to be amazed. Um, I've even seen – Kelly's made different kind of like cake in there and stuff, you know. Um, uh. But between uh, – between the like a crock pot kind of setup and just a, a hot frying pan, you can get a lot done. I mean, partly nuking stuff in advance, like you said. You know, I just did that just yesterday with some potatoes. So you're not standing there forever. Or nuke some broccoli yeah. or something, get it so, you know, softened before you throw it in. Um, yeah, but microwave crock pot in a pan. Um, I wish I could make the the cast iron pan work for me and be. They say if you season it well. You know, yeah. with, with oils and whatnot, it's, it's – and the 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 older it gets, the better, you know, and just sort of non-stick surface. Because I'm – sometimes I'm worried about the Teflon weird – I don't even know what they're made from surfaces. And then I tried ceramic for a while, and then I read there's different molecules given off from that uh, if you make it too hot. And so I, I don't know. To me, it's always just lesser of different evils, I guess. If I can't make it so it it doesn't stick to the pan, then I don't know but yeah, I, I think just fry a lot of stuff. I do that. We cook a lot of chicken breasts still, you know, um, lean meats, um, yep. you know, that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Anyway. One other thing that has been useful that was really cheap. I got it maybe four years ago now was, uh, it's probably only like a four cup thing, a white rice cooker from Amazon for like 34 bucks. It's got a stainless steel container and everything. And, I debated buying it forever and I realized, well, I don't make that much white rice. If I do, I would make like a whole ton of it. And I'm like, well, maybe it'll just be a convenience thing. And what I found was, it's, oh, wow, this is great. I can, you know, put Hmm. it in there, turn it on, go lift. And I have some chicken breast that was already, you know, grilled before in the fridge. So I just have to add it to the cast iron pan and the rice will cook on its own and turn off and stay Mm -hmm. warm. I don't have to stand there and watch it the whole time. It's like, oh wow, this it sounds like really like stupidly obvious, but I'm like, this actually is very useful and saves me a ton of time. Yeah, sometimes you just have to try something to be like to really yep. appreciate. Like,
0: hey, that yeah. was solid <laughs> gold, man. Yeah. yeah, you know, I didn't mention one the one thing I boil all the time. I don't eat as much pasta as I used to. I used to live on large amounts, but is my oatmeal? I mean i i I use the same pot, and I can actually tell. I don't even have to measure anything anymore. And I just I use a wooden spoon in a pot and I know exactly how much water I fill it up a certain depth and when I stir it I can feel the oatmeal drag, the raw oats that I dump in drag through the water at yep. just a certain resistance. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> and that's about that's my brag bragging <laughs> kitchen skill is I can tell by, you know, it pancake batter sometimes like that too cuz I use carbs like oatmeal or sometimes pancakes. Like Phil once said, carbs are a great yep. vehicle to get other stuff into your mouth. Um, <laughs> and those get those get the fruits into my mouth, right? So, uh, yep. Yep. yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proficient with that. I know, I know just how long enough to let the fiber powder sit in my pancake batter. It's going to thicken it up just so, you know. Egg, egg whites make your pancakes really tall, everybody. Not whole eggs. You just use a little bit of pan, uh, egg white. Um, little tips like that you just pick up, egg I guess. Fluffy, yeah. Fluffy, damn right. Fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too many biscuits are make you fluffy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I think that's sort of a whirlwind tour of, you know, do- ways to look at your diet, characterize your diet, and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, that'll be it for this week, and I guess we'll catch up with everybody next time. Sweet. See you
1: later.
0: Hey, listeners.